Uh, it was great to see all those seniors, and uh, I know it's an exciting time in their life and for those families. Uh, we love you guys and glad that uh, you were with us on this special senior day. You know, it's it's always been one of my favorite Sundays to honor our graduating seniors because when you think about it, I mean, we basically have prepared them, helped prepare them with, along with their families for their lives, you know, and so we're sending them out. And I think about all the people that have interacted. If some of these guys have been with us, you know, from when they were little kids, you know. And in fact, some of them's parents were in your youth group. Talk about Methuselah. That's making me feel. I mean, yeah, exactly. You got people now have grandchildren that you disciple. So just just keep it up, Al. Just so you know how old Kellett is, exactly. Uh, But anyway, thanks to all the Bible Hour, all you teachers, um, everybody that through the years has invested uh, into our graduating seniors. And we happen to have a couple of guys here today who have, you know, had a, some impact this last year. And, you know, when I would look at these guys, Mike, I look at our interns, I'm thinking maybe it's a Alan Mike 2.0. Well, hey, they, uh, they're probably better than what we were at that age. I'm not sure. They may be a little smarter. So we, so Which one are you? Bra- yeah, Brandon and Josh. So, so who's Mike and who's Al? That's my question. Uh, I, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty obvious. I think I'm an owl. I think I'm an owl. I think Josh here's a Mike. I think I think we pair okay, together I, really I well. I would disagree with that since I had the red hair and the red beard actually when I was at it. He did. <laughs> Believe it or not, Brandon, he had red hair at one time. So this is what you're going to look like. There we go. Just it's not so bad. You know. It's yeah. not bad. Mike looks good. He's it's a good looker. So anyway, I love interns because I was one uh, at one time, and I appreciate you. You work hard for little money. That's what intern means, by the way. It's in the dictionary. Uh, and so I appreciate these guys and what they're doing with our youth. Uh, let me just ask you guys a couple of questions since we got you here today. So how do you, how's it been this last year, like working with kids? And is it what you expected? Is, you know, what, what, what's the experience been for y'all? Uh, it's been a little bit of a culture shock. So I'm coming out of uh, spending 11 to 12 years in a hospital setting and going from dealing with that type of serious scenario to middle schoolers and high schoolers it's been it's been a bit of a shock but it's what i've expected honestly uh when i first started i was really scared um, i i was had some fear that i couldn't relate but uh honestly wfr has raised some amazing kids uh, like mike and alice said so uh, the transition was super smooth um and relationships were built pretty quickly faster than i expected so i'm in love with it um it, it was scary at first but it, it transitioned really well so what do you think uh, has been the effect of this pandemic? I mean, you guys are, are working with our kids at a time that is unique right. to our history. Yeah. You know, we've never had anything like this. So what has been your experience with, with these guys, and especially these graduating seniors, not being able to go to school, not having the interaction they normally have? So how has that affected them from your, your, from your perspective? I mean, from the Zoom calls, it's pretty obvious, you know, uh, you know, youth teenagers really they they just thrive when they're around their peers that's what they desire i mean it's in their dna um at, around that age they just want to be with others like them um and to not be able to do that you could just see on their faces that they're struggling so boredom uh, not knowing what to do uh, just staying in bed all day um and and through those zoom calls i just try to give them some encouragement some just some real life stuff about what i'm going through uh but this has been a hard time especially for the seniors um, not not being able to have prom or, or dances or, or whatever um, it's, it's been a struggle for them. I know it's been hard. Uh, so they're they're taking it well, but uh, you could see that it's upset them. 
So we appreciate you guys, uh, what you do, the work you do, and of course, obviously, uh, we're so thankful to have these uh, these wonderful graduating seniors. Uh, we know this is not the way we normally do it, and nothing is normal at this point, but at the same time, uh, we're getting through it. We get through it together. So uh, we've got uh, some, we're going to feature some of our those graduating seniors in our scripture reading today. So let's uh, let's take a look at that. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We appreciate that. Uh, you know, I've always loved that text, Mike, because... It really is what we're all about. Well, it is what we're all about. And, uh, in the, you know, the thing about this text is Jesus has uh, gathered these folks up, and they're fixing to send out guys that are going to change the world. And so I, I think that has a natural kind of feel with Senior Sunday. You feel like in some ways we're sending out people, and they're going to change the world. But there's those life transition times for all of us, or new moments, or I love, matter of fact, I love the verse, his mercies are new every morning. So really every day we have a kind of a launching uh, place. But in a very special way, obviously, uh, Senior Sunday, uh, kids are getting ready to launch and, and do a whole lot. And if they can see it as a mission field, right. uh, then they're going out into a mission effort and a mission field. They're not just going out to careers or education. His disciples were constantly faced with this new frontier of something. You know, I think about it, it could be somebody is just coming out of their first step study, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I understand some, some things I didn't know before. And so now it's like, where do I go? How do I impact other people? So this idea of discipleship uh, really carries beyond just young adults, but it's any of us oh, yeah. at any time. Now, when you graduated high school, were, how, were you thinking about discipleship? <laughs> <laughs> I was not thinking about much when I graduated high school myself. <laughs> I could get myself into more trouble. Uh, I was still working on my testimony back in those days. So uh, I, I lament the fact uh, that I missed having some of my best years spent, you know, building something good. You know, I just, I, I blew those years and, and it's something I missed. You know, well, I missed out I, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I was all totally focused on myself and, and, and not on the Lord. But one thing I will say, I'm so thankful for all those Bible class teachers that, uh, from when I was very young in our church, they yep. kept teaching me Bible, kept teaching me things, planted seeds into my heart and my mind. That gave me a place to come back to. And actually that first year of college after high school is actually when I really made a, a, a great change in my life and discovered about the gospel and grace and, and how great things could happen for the Lord. One of the first uh, principles we want to talk about today in discipleship is you have to have a direction. You have to know where you're going, and you have to know who you are as you make that path. So let's hear again from our, uh, our seniors about what they think about their direction. What are your plans for after high school? I'd say just to work and figure it out from there. My plans after high school are to go to ULM and hopefully figure out what career I want to go into. I'm not quite sure yet. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot and praying about it, and it still hasn't come to me, but I'm hoping actually being in the college environment will help me out a little bit. Um, after high school, I plan on going to ULM. 
and I'm still undecided about my major, but that's okay. <laughs> I have plenty of time. My plans for after high school are to move out of Monroe and start a career in sales. Plans for after high school? Well, I'm probably going to go to tech, and I'm going to either do architecture or engineering, because I'm good at art, I'm good at math, so put those things together. It's one of those two things. I'm going to live in a dorm, and it's going to be pretty fantastic. I'm kind of excited. I plan on attending ULM. I plan on majoring in radiology and specializing in ultrasound. And hopefully get a job around here and stay pretty close to home. So you know what I love about the getting to hear everybody's perspective is, you know, you, you got everything from I got no clue what I'm doing to, I mean, planned out meticulously, right? I love Amber. Uh, you, you know, because her deal is she's good at math and art. Are you good at either one of those, brother? Uh, I'm not good at math and I'm not good at art. <laughs> so you wind up being a preacher, apparently, <laughs> when you're not good at either one of those, because I think that fits us both, right? Close, yeah. I, I'm glad she's got her mom's brains instead of her dad. So, <laughs> Amber, anyway. Uh, no, but, you know, still, it, it, the idea is you don't have to know exactly how it's going to go. I mean, you face a life of uncertainty. You know, sometimes we get the idea that it's got to be planned out to the point where I've got to know every single thing. But that's not really the way life works. No, it doesn't really work that way. And But it's real funny because we push kids to get their education quicker nowadays than before. They're taking college courses in high school, mm -hmm. uh, knocking all the way out, and then they graduate, and they don't know what they want to do. And they don't know what career they want, but they've been kind of felt like they have to, to go in that direction. But I think one of the... Uh, one of the greatest verses that gives us some help on this is out of the wise men out of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, and that word way is the word for journey in the original language. All your journey, submit to him. He'll make your path straight. So wherever you're going, whatever your journey is, up, down uh, hills, around curves, the important thing is, is that you're trusting God in it and that the character of God goes with you that's really more about direction than the career or the goals that you're setting yeah and it's, it's much more about having him in charge of your journey another great one Mike is, is the 23rd Psalm which is very familiar but think, look at how directional David makes this the Lord is my shepherd I like nothing he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he refreshes my soul he guides me along the right path for his name's sake, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. And so the idea is, is that we trust in Christ. The direction is him. I mean, he's the North Star. Uh, he's the sun that sets and rises. He's the idea of where we go and why we do it. So this takes you through no matter what's going to happen in your life, no matter what that future holds that you don't know, you know that Jesus is going to be there as a part of that. So being a disciple is my direction. I set my sails in him. And going while not knowing is a very faith principle. Right. You remember uh, in Genesis 12, the Lord told Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him to. Can you imagine how difficult that would be oh, my goodness. to take off on that kind of direction? <laughs> I mean... You go, you don't know where it's going to be, I'll let you know when you get there. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's basically what he said. And then he was, uh, he's like, I'm going to make you into a great nation, but oh, by the way, there's going to be about 400 years before that happens. I mean, now you know why they call him the 
father of the faithful, right? Because that's the sort of step out he did. But with, with his compass set in the Almighty, he knew. He knew. And that's why when God told him to sacrifice Isaac, he was like, okay, I guess he'll just raise him up from the dead. It's that sort of faithfulness that helps you when you look and you say, I have to set a direction, and I want to set that in Christ. Well, and look, the what really is going to help our direction, any of us, no matter how old we are, whether it's seniors, uh, we have this particular day we're honoring them, or other moments in life, it may be starting a new job, a new career, uh, maybe you're going, uh, you're engaged, you're just fixing to get married. Mm-hmm. All these uh, transition times in our life, what really makes a difference in them is that the character of God guides us into each one of those and shows us how to live within that framework that we're entering in. And that character is what's most important. It's a great point, Mike. And you mentioned my own teenage years. I had no compass. I had no guide because I didn't have the character of Christ. And so, therefore, I relied on Al's character. And guess where that took me? To New Orleans, Louisiana, in a bad place. And, and I almost lost my life there. So you want to have the character of Christ. That's what gives you that guidance. Now, also, Mike, it's, it's not just direction. It's also determination. In other words, we can expect some bumps along the journey. That's what's going to happen. So uh, let's see what our, uh, our high school seniors think about, uh, think about that. What was the hardest thing for you about school? Just the pressure of all of it. And the hardest thing about high school for me was probably keeping a good, healthy schedule between school, friends, and family, and work, and trying to have enough time for everything and enjoy everything. Um, I definitely did enjoy high school, but it was kind of hard to keep that schedule. I think the hardest part about high school for me was balancing my workload and all my sports practices and games and church time and just really making sure that I allotted that special time every day with just me and Jesus. Um, I know a lot of times for me it was hard to put schoolwork away and just focus on me and Jesus. The hardest part was probably just getting it all done. Hardest thing for me about school, well, one, grades, good gracious staying up till like midnight studying, waking up at four to finish the homework, like, oh my goodness. Studying and like keeping that drive, that motivation, hard. It was not easy, but it was totally worth it, man. The hardest thing about school was probably getting up in front of people and speaking. I got real anxious about that and I would always kind of, I don't know, get real nervous. Uh, I tell you, I I, uh, I didn't step uh, late at night. I didn't get up early in the morning from my studies. I don't see you as a late night study guy. You know how, I see you more just snacking on some pepperoni snacks yeah, or something well, you like know that. How the, uh, uh, you know how you had the 10%? You know, they always talk about the 10% of the class. You know, uh, you were in the top 10%. I was in the, the percentage that made the top 10% possible. <laughs> Uh, you, you understand that, uh, but uh, but that's okay. Uh, I did. I tell you what, I really did love. I love Callie's statement about that. I, the heart. One of the hardest things was creating that time for just me and Jesus. I love it. I love that idea. And so that's that's always a thing that's difficult for everybody. But you have to have determination. Look, as a Christian, uh, it's not going to be easy. It wasn't designed to be easy. You don't say, come to Jesus and everything in your life is going to be great and comfortable and good. 
that's not really how it works because when you become a disciple, you are naturally going to be in conflict with the culture in which you live in. And look, that has nothing to do with our, just our culture. That's a culture at any time in the world because Christianity always is counterculture. That's right. And so it becomes a very difficult thing. You have to have determination and understand that a disciple has to have that strength inside that God gives you uh, to make it in this world. Because the enemy, he's not going to let up. As we always say uh, when you become a Christian now, uh, uh, baptism doesn't drown the devil. That's right? right. And so he's right there ready to attack us. Well, and, you know, this particular group of young people uh, probably in our culture today face it as much as anybody. Because you, you walk onto a college campus uh, and immediately you're going to sense there's a whole different way of oh, thinking. It's a, it's a battlefield. Yeah, that you grew up in. And that's because the evil one has taken control of so many of our institutions, including those of higher learning. I mean, we're in a fairly conservative area here, so it's not as bad. When I went to school here, as I'm sure it does if you go to one of the Ivy League schools, but it's still bad. And the first time you're sitting in science class and they're talking about Lucy and I took the leg bone and turned it into this half monkey, half person. And, you know, they make it all sound like it's, you know, perfectly feasible. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute. I mean, I thought God made us. You know, I thought that's what I, I grew up learning from the Bible. So you're going to face that. And we all face the evil one. And he has his way of challenging every single one of us. I mean, one of my the best experiences of my life, Mike, when I, I went to Paris Island, I was invited to speak to the Navy chaplains there. And I didn't really realize military structure and kind of how it all worked. And I assumed that they were Navy chaplains. They were just on a boat speaking to people in the Navy. But they actually minister to Marines, especially young Marines. So I went on a tour, and I'm seeing all these kids. And they were literally kids. I mean, 18, 19, 20-year-old. All their heads are peeled, men and women. And they're being trained and, and reshaped so that they're going to go into some of the most dangerous places on the planet. And as I watched those kids, and they were telling me stories about their, their backgrounds, a lot of them were homeless and come from terrible family situations, and the Marine Corps was all they had. And as I watched that, I mean, I just saw how, you know, in their sense, going through this physical and emotional toll of being a Marine, because you got to go into some situation, I immediately imagined what it's like for all of us in a spiritual sense to be involved in spiritual warfare, and the evil one is right there. And this is our shot. We either get through this and we're determined and we make it or we fail. And the evil one defeats us. And so I was watching these kids out here and it was just, it was so amazing. Uh, first of all, just from a military perspective. And then these Navy chaplains were there trying to minister to these kids. And at the same time, I thought, well, that's what we all do. I mean, we, we face that spiritual warfare battle. And look, we got one shot to do this right. And that's to trust our commander and that we follow his lead and we engage in the battle. So that's what we're called to in determination. Yeah, so there's something very important about being spiritually tough. Yeah. Uh, and I and I think if I could, uh, you know, if I could give any advice, and which I'm really not in a position to do in one sense because I've, I have all the weaknesses and failures anyone else does. But I think there's a lack of toughness. And uh, I, I think that's the thing I saw in my dad's generation. Mm. Uh, they were tough. They were not just tough physically. They were tough mentally. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there wasn't a, uh, a lot of uh, things available that we have now to help people. There wasn't a lot of counseling, a lot of those kinds of things, which I'm glad we have those things available. But at the same time, there's a toughness that needs to exist in disciples. That's right. Just because their confidence is not in themselves, but it's confidence in the one that made them. So God made you to be able to accomplish things you've never done before. You need to know you can make it as a strong Christian. You can make it and stay faithful. 
no matter how tough the situation is in the world. There are persecuted Christians all around the world that are suffering very, very tough situations. We need to raise up tough-minded, determined disciples uh, that are going to get through difficult times. Look, if we're going to be thrown off that the first thing that comes to us right off in our young age, then we're looking for a lifetime of problems if we can't learn some toughness and determination early on. So we use the word determination. James and James 1, 2 through 4 used the word perseverance. And so you have to persevere. Now, one of the, I guess, recurring you know, things that the evil one does against any of us disciples is this concept of fear and doubt. I mean, all of us have to face that in so many different phases, and, and especially young people um, coming out of a more secure place where everybody's pulling for you and everybody's saying, you know, we're going to help you get through this thing to other people literally wanting to tear you down. And so it's easy to have fear and it's easy to have doubt. I mean, that's what t- tends to happen. Uh, so let's see what our, uh, our seniors think about uh, fear. What is your biggest fear about the next phase of your life as a young adult? Probably that I'm not going to know what to do. A huge fear for me into the next phase of my life. Uh, I've thought about it probably ever since I got into high school, really. But um, it's not knowing what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Like I said earlier, I'm not quite sure what I want to go into in college and stuff. And um, I'm just, I'm, it's a big hole of uncertainty and not knowing for sure what I'm going to do. So that's kind of scary. Um, but I'll pray about it. And my family also prays for me too. Um, I think my biggest fear about young adult life is um, letting fear be the ruler of that. Um, I struggle a lot of times giving in to that fear. And so I just want to make sure going forward and growing up that Jesus is the loudest voice in the room. One of my biggest fears is making the right choices in the given circumstances. I have to say fear of the unknown because I have no idea what life is going to look like. Um, I know I'm probably going to live in a dorm, which is crazy because I've lived in this house for like ever and with my family and it's going to be so weird like waking up and seeing a different view out the window. The biggest fear is probably going to be having to be really independent. You know, I've always relied on um, my family and stuff. So just going off and doing stuff on my own, that's going to be really hard. So I, I love teen speak. It's like, I've worked here like forever, Mike. You know, that's what I feel like this church building that we're in right now. Uh, I, so much good stuff there. I, I love the honesty about being fearful of what we don't know. Uh, Anna said it beautifully. And I love that Jesus is the loudest voice in the room. That's, that's powerful. That'll preach. That's his own sermon title right there. So right. thank you for that, Kelly. Uh, but when we think about... We think about doubt, we think about fear. Um, the original disciples were probably our greatest model, unfortunately for them. Uh, we pick on them a lot, but but really, just to be fair and honest, we would have had the same oh, problems, same problem you know, that they had. You we know, we tend to think that look, if I had actually been with Jesus, then you know everything would have gone great. Oh, I would have gotten it right. right. Yeah, this. <laughs> But yet they find out that we find out they have the same problems that we do, and they're right there with him in, in, on the ground. They're eating. They're in a boat. Yeah. Uh, 
Remember in the, uh, uh, was it Matthew 8, where they're on the, uh, on, on, the, on the water there, and the storm comes up, and they're like, want to wake, wake him up, we're about to die, don't you care if we die? Yeah. And we got the creator of the universe right there with you in the boat. And, and so what he says is, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? And so, you know, and then they're amazed when he, like, calms everything down and said, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. So you think, well, they got that down now. But no, until we get to Matthew 14, and then there's another instance. Jesus was walking out there. Oh, it's a ghost. We're so scared. You know, we got the wind. We got the waves. We got everything going on. And they have the same fear and doubt. Peter gets out. He's like, I'll show you boys how to do this. I'm going to walk on water until he sees what? The waves. And then he starts to sing. And then Jesus looks at him, and guess what he says? Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? So it seems like you're picking on the guys, but let's face it, that's how life is. I mean, in one moment, I've got it down, I understand, Christ is leading me, he's shown me his power, I'm going to follow him no matter what. And then we get three or four weeks down the road, something else comes up we didn't plan for, and we're like, oh no, what's going to happen? And we're right back in fear and doubt. And think about that, uh, uh, Thomas, remember his doubting of mm -hmm. Jesus, he's the one really known for it but uh in john 14 uh, he says lord we don't know where you're going so how, how can we know the way and uh and he said this uh, right after jesus it says verse four you know the you, way you know the way to the place <laughs> where i'm going so you know they just have that back and forth thing that we all struggle with in life and almost like every time we face a different situation we have to kind of regain our confidence again uh, and the one that we're following. Well, you remember right before uh, when we were back in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, they saw him right before he gives them the Great Commission. They worshiped him, which is an awesome moment. Just think about that scene where there's these 11 disciples and they're, they're down, they're bowing down, they're worshiping Jesus. But then it says, but some doubted. So even in their worship, they were still having doubts. They still weren't sure exactly what we're supposed to do. How is this going to go? And, of course, they're missing Judas. And I can't help but think about Judas as that disciple, that picture that it shows you of what happens when you can't get your direction and determination right. Because, see, in his life, fear and doubt overtook him. He let the evil one overtake his heart. And then he took his own life. It's one of the saddest things you'll ever read in the Bible. And it, it really has always gripped me because I thought, I want to make sure that I keep my compass where it needs to be. Because I see in that, this is a guy that spent three years with Jesus. And yet at the end, he walked away. And then he took his own life. I mean, that's how, that's how much shame and how much guilt overtook his life. You know, uh, uh, when you think about that, all these other guys, they had doubts too. And yet Jesus is fixing to give them the great commission, the, the great passages of going to all the world and preach the gospel, uh, going to every ethnic group and make disciples. Uh, and as he's fixing to lay this out, he's giving it to doubting men. Now, let me, let me remind you, if he can use fishermen and tax collectors and all those kinds of folks, and even amongst their doubting as they're growing, uh, he can use you too to reach the world because he didn't just give that to them he, he gave that to us but there should be a level of confidence that that god can use us even though we have moments of weakness we have times that we doubt yet at the same time jesus entrusted the gospel to mere men that he would empower through the holy spirit which he gives us too by the way to live for him and take the gospel to the world 
So when we say the word disciple, that means a lot of different things to different people. So let's see what our seniors uh, think about the word disciple. What does the word disciple mean to you? To me, I think it means someone who is a very strong follower of Christ and will lead others to him or teach them about him. The word disciple means to me a devoted follower and that said devoted follower will be a light for everyone else to help everyone else become what that person is. What it means to me to be a disciple is to, you know, die to myself daily and take up my cross and follow Jesus wherever he leads because I know that he has my best interests at heart and I know that um, he will guide me wherever I'm supposed to be. To be honest, I'm still figuring out what it means. To me, like, disciple means student because the disciple is the person, like, learning from the apostle. Like, the apostles taught the disciples. So that's kind of how it is. Like we're learning about God and that's what the disciples did. Like the 12 disciples learned from Jesus, learned from the teacher. And being a disciple of God, like, okay, this is what I learned from the college group. You need to be discipled and discipling. Like you need someone pouring into you, like teaching you and leading you, like showing you things about life and giving you advice. I need to pour out to somebody, need someone to disciple. To me, disciple means not only following Jesus, but also showing others through my actions, the love and kindness that he has shown me to help them find that he is all that they need. Well, uh, as a young man said, to be honest, there are still a lot of people trying to figure out what it is. Yeah, that's great. Disciple. I love that. Uh, and look, we're all still learning. Uh, but to uh, to be a disciple, uh, I love I love what uh, Amber said. People pour into your life, and then you turn around and pour into the life of others. But now, I think in our world, especially uh, of Christianity, and probably in America uh, more than anything else, there's a whole world of even uh, evangelicals, a whole world of religious people. But I'm not sure people still get what me, uh, being disciples all about. I think there are a lot of people who are, I would say, unconverted believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they attend church. They they go there. Uh, uh, there's This is a habit in their life. And look, I'm grateful for anybody for any reason to come and acknowledge God for who he is, right? But there's a difference between being religious and being a disciple. And I think that's really where the challenge comes down because a disciple is what is described as that devoted follower that someone that says my goal is to discipline myself to be like jesus more than i was the day before and i'm willing to learn that from others who walk with jesus and that's got to be our ideal in disciples yeah and it, it you'll know it by their fruit and by their love for one another i mean that's how jesus said it'll be recognized so you will be a discipler as a disciple that's just part of your dna that's how god made you so if we if we got our point in christ and we're determined, no matter what happens in this life, we're going to follow that path and we're going to follow him. If we're going to let him help us overcome our fears and doubts, because we're going to have them, there's no doubt it's going to be that way, then we are bona fide disciples of Jesus Christ. And that means we have a home in heaven 
And that means we also have a way to impact lives while we're here on this earth. I can't think of anything better, Mike, than being a disciple of Jesus. I can't. Oh, can you imagine? You think about what you have. A disciple is forgiven. That's right. That means all the past, present, and future things are taken care of by the blood of Christ. A disciple is fearless because the power of sin and death no longer has a hold on us. I mean, the grave has been conquered. You know, we talk a lot about coronavirus, and if you survive coronavirus or if you never got it, but guess what? There's going to be something else that's going to come along. That six-foot hole is looming. A disciple can be fearless because that six-foot hole has no hold over a son of God or a daughter of God. And a disciple is prepared. He knows the way to heaven because Jesus has shown him there. And heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And he knows the direction which he's going. A disciple is patient. We're awaiting our Savior to come back and take us with him. Now, that could happen today. That could happen in a hundred years. That could happen in a thousand years. But it's going to happen. So while I'm living my life on this earth, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to try to help other people know. Think about it. Every person that just became a disciple, they're so glad the Lord didn't come back before that happened. Mm. We want to be patient as the Lord is patient and understand that on his timing, people can have the opportunity to live forever. And a disciple has character because God is living in them. Look, we have God's Holy Spirit to help us. We, we have God's word to guide us and teach us. And we have God's people to encourage us along the way. A disciple has the character of God growing in their life. And finally, a disciple is commissioned to pay it forward. We want to help other people understand about who Christ is. Don't be stingy with the victories of God. He has done great things in so many lives. We have to talk about that. There's power in that. Revelation 12, 11 says there's power in the blood of the Lamb, but there's also power in us saying what he's done in us. It's not really our testimony. It's Christ's testimony in us. What has he done to impact your life? And so for those of you out there that may be watching that, you know, or somewhere in America and, and you, you plugged into our live stream and you're saying, you know, what are these guys? I mean, I'd like to become a disciple. You can. And you don't have to wait. You can embrace Jesus Christ and start that walk. No doubt about it. He says, if you'll just trust me and commit to me, if you'll say, I want to live my life for you, if you'll obey me, if you'll confess me as your Lord, if you will be baptized to show that power that God can do in your life and be renewed, I will send my Holy Spirit literally into your life and into your heart to speak to you, to guide you, to help you, to help other people. That moment can be there for you. And that's why we're doing this. Exactly right. You know, the disciple, Jesus said, must deny himself, take up the cross, and follow him. And that's what we're always in the process of doing and growing in to do it better and better. Because it's a daily thing that we grow in. But we do so with a total confidence that God will form us into being who he wants us to be. And look, ultimately, the goal of Christianity is very simple. It's causing us to look more like Jesus today than we did the day before. That's what God is doing, trying to get us to look like Christ. Matter of fact, one day when we go to be with Christ, we will be like him. We'll have a body like his, First John says. We'll be with him, and we'll also be like him. What a great, great day that'll be. So discipleship, it's exciting. And I, uh, there's a, it's exciting to watch people grow. Uh, and, and Ryan, I know that uh, you've watched people grow in discipleship because we've, we've got to see it around the world together. And so... Uh, I, I, I know you have things on your heart about disciples around the world. And, and uh, uh, what do you got for us as we're closing out this uh, idea of discipleship? 
Yeah, Mike, one of the things um, that I've learned as far as discipleship goes that the word disciple is a noun and a verb. To me, uh, we are called to be disciples. We are disciples of Christ. But as uh, Mike and Alan preached this morning in Matthew 28, we are also called to disciple. So you are a disciple and you should be discipling. Don't just be poured into, but also look for opportunities to pour out. That's what the beauty of discipleship is. Uh, as Amber said, and I'm so proud of her, um, you should always have somebody discipling you, and you should always be discipling somebody else. Uh, and that's the beauty of being in the body of Christ. Uh, I love, uh, I'm going to quote Betty Cooper. She was in our, our comments on the, uh, on the live stream on the website. She says, seniors, high school seniors, if opportunity does not knock, build a door. You guys have your path to make. So we, we again, want to celebrate um, you seniors that are graduating.